Hello and welcome to the Stories of Northern Life from the Sault Ste. Marie Museum. For Indigenous Peoples Month, we want to highlight influential Anishinaabe figures and what they have instilled in our community. Today we are going to talk about a man you probably know by Chief Shangwak. Does that name ring any bells? Shingwak Residential School, now Goma University, with Shingwak Hall as the name for the main building, the new Shingwak Hinonameg Gaming Center, and a long lineage of the family name. We will talk about Shingwak's life, values, impact, and legacy, so let's get into it. Chief Shingwak, otherwise known as Shingwak Ons, or Little Pine, was born 1773, on the shore of Lake Superior. His mother was Okemakwa, which translated to queen, the daughter of a chief named Shingwa, or Shingabawis, and his parents before him all lived in the Sault Ste. Marie area. Shingwa Gomes's father was French, or half-French, but he gave his son the name Augustine Bart, which he was proud to put down on treaties with his Anishinaabe name. His father's identity is not fully known, but is speculated that he was named Bonaparte, so that's what we'll go with today, and he lived in Mackinac. Okemaqua did not want to move to France like Bonaparte wanted, so they moved to the Sioux, where she gave their son his name from her father, but added an ending, translating to Little Pine. Shingwak Ons rose to prominence, fighting in the War of 1812. He fought alongside Tecumseh, Sir Isaac Brock, and others against the Americans in the War of 1812. He gathered the Ojibwe of the Upper Great Lakes to defend Anishinaabe and Canadian territories. He earned quite a few awards and medals for his efforts in the war. They can now be found at the new Shingwa Kinoname Gaming Center. He was chief of the Garden River Ojibwas and he was expected to do great things as a young boy, showing great promise. As Shingwak Ons became a great chief, he referred to be called Shingwak, dropping the ending, meaning little. As Chief Shingwak had the authority to draw up land deeds and perform other legal documents. His name appeared on a number of treaties, such as the Treaty of the St. Mary's in 1920, which was arranged with the Governor Cass of Michigan. He was also one of the principal speakers. After this treaty, for 18 years, he traveled trying to find some support and a way of implementing his self-determination strategy. This strategy had three points. First, through diplomacy and negotiations, the Europeans should be allowed some right to share the land according to a formula. Reserves would be lands under Aboriginal title where the Indigenous could maintain their traditional ways. Treaty lands would be under double jurisdiction, while hunting, gathering, traversing, and camping would continue on all unsettled lands. Settlers would be given some right to settle certain areas and mine. Secondly, on the reserve, and treaty lands, the natives would be able to continue their traditional ways while expanding their economic life as they saw fit. Thirdly, the natives, while learning from the Europeans, 
could synthesize the old with the new. Shingwak also represented the Ojibwe's in the signing of the Robinson-Huron Treaty in 1850. One of the features of this treaty involved setting aside the Garden River Reserve for the Ojibwe's. It was after his long travels and gathering of knowledge that inspired him in 1831 and had a vision of a teaching wigwam, an education strategy that incorporates European knowledge with skills with traditional Ojibwe teaching. The objective was for his people to learn to read and write and develop community skills that would help them survive in the challenging world while preserving Anishinaabe identity. This would be a cross-cultural understanding and for synthesis of traditional Anishinaabe and modern European knowledge and learning systems. At 59 years old, Shingwak traveled by snowshoe in 1832 to York to petition Sir John Colborne, Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada, for his vision of a school for his people. He wanted support, funding, and teachers. Keep in mind that York is better known now as Toronto, and it takes us about seven hours to drive from the Sioux to Toronto. Now imagine our Canadian winters and just snowshoes on your feet. Not just taking that trek one way, but there and back. That's pure dedication and true passion for what he believed in. Reverend McMurray arrived that same year to set up a mission and a school. When he first arrived in Sault Ste. Marie, he stayed at the Old Stone House and was the first person to live in the house after the Ermatangers left in 1828. He used the house as a home and a church. Until he established St. John's Mission to the Ojibwas, in cooperation with the Canadian government and Anglican Church partners, the Shingwak School was officially opened in Sault Ste. Marie in 1833. The temporary church and 20 houses were located behind the Old Stone House near today's Pym Street and Boron Avenue. It began with 12 Anishinaabe, but then later taught European children. There was initial success in building the first teaching wigwam and farm, complete with livestock and gardens, as well as providing lumber for houses. Government support decreased, though, in 1834, and promised houses remained unbuilt, and ultimately the project went downhill from here. Francis Bonhead, Colburn's successor, supported an Indian policy of removal rather than integration. That change in government ultimately forced the school to close just five years after its initiation. Shingwak then permanently relocated his band 10 miles downstream to Garden River. And in 1838, despairing over broken promises and failure of the mission, McMurray and a figure from last week's podcast on the John Johnston family, Charlotte Johnston, woman of the Wild Rose, whom McMurray married, left the Sioux. In later years, Shingwak became a leading advocate of native resource rights, including access to revenue from mining and lodging on Aboriginal lands. Christianity became an important part of Chief Shingwak's life, along with his two sons, Augustine and Bakujenin. 
but other Ojibwe beliefs continued to play a role in their lives as well. His visions of the teaching wigwam and more was carried on by his sons. Augustine, born in 1800 and passed in 1890. Bakojenin, born 1811 and passed 1900. John Askin, born 1863 and passed 1919. And George Menesino, born 1839 and passed 1923. After Shingwak's death, Augustine served as hereditary chief from 1854 until his passing, and Bucko Jennen held the position from 1890 till 1900. Shingwak's youngest son, George Shingwak, also known as George Menesino or George Pine, born 1838 and passed 1923, was elected chief of the Garden River First Nations from 1899 to 1902, and again from 1903 till 1916. Shingwak had a total of nine children, though, and four wives. He was married to his last wife in an Anglican church. The vision of Chief Shingwak was misappropriated and corrupted during the residential school process. The school that bore his name did not live up to his beliefs and ideals, but during his lifetime, he did what he believed to be right and good for his people and initiated a positive change. Now Shingwak's vision is being seen through with the Anishinaabe Discovery Center. The center is home to Canada's first ever First Nations operated National Chiefs Library, a $12 million facility that is also home to many First Nations archives and literature. Now we have an Indigenous-run education system in his name. After too many years, there are still people seeking reconciliation and fulfillment of his vision. But now we are finally seeing it come to fruition.